I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Luke 13. Luke 13. I was inspired to bring you this word based on all this Black Friday and Cyber Monday and Terrific Tuesday and all this craziness, my inbox has been flooded with all of these sales. You know, this is for sale and that's for sale and 40% off today only. And so I want to talk to you about this for a limited time only. I had no idea exactly what Frank was going to be talking about last week, but Pastor Frank's message was dead on line with the gospel. One of my favorite books, Ephesians, one of my favorite chapters, chapter two, and he gave you a very, very clear understanding of how to give your life to Christ. And then it's not your performance. You can't do it on your own. So I appreciate you sharing that because what I want to come behind that with is that door will not always be open, folks. That opportunity will not always be there. Let me share a fanciful story with you. Once a kind older woman named Suzanne died and stood at the gates of heaven. She said, oh, this is such a beautiful, wonderful place. How do I get in? The gatekeeper smiled and, and said, Suzanne, all you have to do to get in is spell one word correctly. She said, oh, okay, what is that word? And he said, well, sweetheart, it's the word love. She breathed a sigh of relief and said, okay, L-O-V-E. And he said, well done, enter into the joy of the Lord. Now y'all know that's not in the Bible, right? I'm just fanciful story. About a year later, Suzanne was on gate duty when her husband, Ralph, arrived unexpectedly. Suzanne said, oh, I'm surprised to see you. How have you been doing? And Ralph said, actually, I've been doing great since you died. Do you remember that pretty nurse that took care of you? Well, we fell in love and we married a few weeks after you were in the ground. Then I won the lottery. And so we sold that little house we used to live in and moved into a huge mansion. My wife and I have been so very happy. We've been traveling all over the world. In fact, we were on a ski trip in the Alps and, and I was caught in an avalanche. And, and that's why I'm here sooner than I, I thought. Now, what do I have to do to get in? It sure looks nice in there. And Suzanne, oh, Suzanne said, oh, sweetheart, it is just, it's so easy. All you have to do is spell one word correctly. He said, that's great. What is the word? And she said, oh, well, it's Czechoslovakia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, people have some kooky ideas about what it takes to get through the pearly gates. People have some really strange ideas. That's why I'm really thankful for the message you heard last week because it was very clear. It's not about you. It's about the finished work of Jesus Christ, his shed blood on our behalf, his once for all sacrifice. Some people think they can be born into the right group. Some people think maybe it's an ethnic thing, religious thing. They think maybe because their parents or grandparents were great Christians, they'll just ride into heaven on their coattails. Maybe their spouse is a good Christian. Do you know a majority of all American Christians, over 50%, 52% in the study I'm quoting, think that at least some non-Christian faiths lead to eternal life? Now, these are professing Christians in our nation that say, well, yeah, but if you're a good Muslim or if you're a good this or a good that, you'll get in anyway. And you say, well, I know, Pastor, things have sure changed a lot recently. That's really bad these days. I'm quoting a survey from 2008. Now, do you think it's gotten better or worse for the Christian faith in America since 2008? A whole lot worse. 
So that number was 52% in 2008. I would imagine it's gotten much worse since then. Sweetheart, do you need your phone back? My iPad just came on. Can I just keep it here? If you get any calls, I'll let you know. Okay. So here in Luke, Jesus is going to correct some very serious heresies that were popping up in his day and that are re-emerging in our day. And these false beliefs are going to be brought into the light and exposed so that he can teach us the right understanding of our salvation. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. We'll pick up with verse 22 out of Luke 13. It says, and he, Jesus, went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And then one said to him, Lord, are there few who were saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say unto you, I do not know you where you are from. And then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you say Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. And they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and they'll sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed there are the last who will be first and they're the first who will be last. And on that very day some Pharisees came saying to him, get out and depart from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, you go tell that fox Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day, and I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. See, all this is the prediction of his sacrificial death. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me again until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, this is, a, this is a tough text here, challenging text where a lot of people think, well, I have an association with Jesus. Surely I get in. Surely I know him and, and I guess he knows me. So my reservation is set. I'm good. But there will be many who will cry out to him in the last days that will not have entrance. And they'll go to that horrible, horrible place called hell with weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal flame and torment where there are no parties, there are no social gatherings, there's utter separation and loneliness and pain. And may it be the cry of our heart that we would want no one, even our very worst enemy, we would want no one to face such an eternity. Let us be faithful in this season of light to share it with a world of darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. So, first truth, not very complicated. Salvation is available 
for a limited time only. Salvation is available for a limited time only. Luke 13, 22, in, in this verse, he's bringing us back to a theme of Luke 9, 51, as Jesus was on his way in his final preaching tour, and he's keeping this divine appointment in Jerusalem. In verse 23, the Jews are debating how many people will be saved. There was a common Jewish belief that all Jews, except Jewish tax collectors and other notorious sinners, would be saved. So basically, their philosophy was if you're born a Jew, you're good. You're born a Jew, you are chosen by God, you're fine. And Jesus makes it very clear that the way is so straight and so narrow that few actually find it. That's Matthew 7, 14. Few will find this way, right? I like to say this, people in our day and time have become so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. And they say, well, you Christians, you're narrow. And I say, well, no, the way is narrow. The way to be right with God is, is one way, one door. You can't choose a back door lest God would be cruel. God would kill his son unnecessarily. That God would allow a plan B, a plan C. No, that would make him cruel. But here in verse 24, it says, strive to enter through the narrow gate because many will seek to enter and not be able. What does this mean? Well, this word signifies a great struggle against conflict. MacArthur writes, Christ was not suggesting that anyone could merit heaven by striving for it. No matter how rigorously he labored, sinners could never save themselves for salvation is solely by grace, through faith and not by works. I wrote this and referenced Ephesians 2 before I knew Frank was going to teach you that last week. But entering the narrow gate is nonetheless difficult because what it cost us in terms of human pride, because of the sinner's natural love for sin and because of the world and Satan's opposition to truth. Look at verse 25. When once... The master of the house has risen up and shut the door and, and you're outside beginning to bang on that door. It's too late. When once, or some translations just use the word once. Once the master gets up, folks, that's a, that's a word of time. That's a statement of time. At a particular moment, the master arises he closes the door, he locks the door, no one else gets in. There is a time coming when the master closes the one way. No more opportunities. You can knock and plead, you can cry and moan, but to no avail. And I would tell you today for you, the door is open. How do you know? Your heart's still beating? You still got breath in your lungs? You haven't continually rejected God, rejected God, rejected God. Your heart is not so hard, I hope, that you're not listening to the truth. I believe you're here for a reason. The door's open, but let me tell you this, and I want you to get this down if you're a note taker today. It's all on your outline. The one day the door to heaven will be closed, folks. One day the door to heaven will be closed. Now, how? Well, let me go ahead and give you the rundown. It may be closed by death. You know that. It is appointed to a man to die once, and after this, judgment. When you die, you don't get a do-over, you don't get a second chance, unlike Shirley MacLaine thinks, you don't come back as a butterfly, and then a dog, and then a cat, and then this, and then that. You get one shot at it, one go-round, and it is fast. The older I get, the faster it's going. It's really, really fast, this go-round, one lap around, 
And then when you cross the finish line and you cross the threshold of death, the door to salvation is closed if you're not already in a relationship with God through Christ. It may be closed by the return of Jesus. Now, I won't get into all the theological nuance. I could say the rapture, which would actually theologically be more accurate, but I'm just going to generically say it can be closed by the return of Jesus. When he breaks the eastern sky and calls us out of here, the door is closed for you. You say, no, wait a minute. I thought there were some who would be saved out of tribulation. Yep, but not you. You say, how do you know I can't be saved out of tribulation? Because I'm going to make sure you hear the gospel today. <laughs> and once you hear the gospel now, you don't get a chance then. There are those saved out of tribulation, but not you, not you. And it may be closed by the hardening of your heart. I talked about that a few weeks ago. When is that? I don't know. Could be soon. How often have you said no to God? You say, well, I've never said no to God. I just haven't accepted him. Oh, that's a no. Oh, that's a no. Death, the return of Jesus, the hardening of your heart. I've, I've said it like this. You never know when the last opportunity to ensure your entrance to heaven will be. That's a lot to take in, right? We're gonna leave that up there for a little bit. I just want you to look at that. Let me ask you a question. Even children, young people, teenagers in the room, have you ever known anybody that passed away, something tragic happened before their time? Anybody ever known anybody that died early, young, younger than you thought they were going to, younger than they thought they were going to? Anybody know anybody that's ever been in an accident? Anybody know anybody that's ever passed suddenly? So are well, you just trying to scare us? Man, I'm telling you, eternity without Jesus is not scary, it's terrifying. It's an awful thought to step across the threshold and then see your creator either robed in your own righteousness, which will be filthy rags, or covered by the blood of Christ, which will make you as white as snow. It's terrifying to see the maker without Jesus. You know, the problem I think we have, I really do think we've become cynical because of the nature of our world. One of my wife's favorite stores years ago was Paul Harris. Is that still around, Paul Harris? You liked that store. That store used to drive me crazy. The few times that, that she convinced me to go to the mall with her, and I break out even thinking about it, but when I'd go to the mall and I'd be holding a purse or doing something I didn't want to do, Paul Harris had signs everywhere. And I'm telling y'all, almost every sign said something like, 40% off this week only. You know why I hated those signs? because they were up the next week, and the next week, and the next week. Liar, liar, pants on fire. It is not this week only. You are offering these deals all the time. Have y'all ever seen the commercials? The, the Billy May and all of those guys that if you call in the next 20 minutes, bub, if you call in 25 minutes and ask for the deal, you get the deal. You don't buy that line of hooey that, you know, it's only now, right now, right now. And what's that done to us? I mean, we, we dealt with it when we used to camp. We bought one of our campers at a camping show. And I went back and forth between this dealer and that dealer. Well, Mr. Lewis, it's show price only, show price only. Oh, so you're telling me if I come down to your shop next week, cash in hand, you're not going to take it? Well, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> show price only my foot. And some of y'all are looking at me thinking right now, I got plenty of time. I hear you, preacher boy. You're telling us that this is a limited offer. But I got time. Man, if I want to come back next week 
I might show up on Christmas. I might just wait till Easter to come back over here. I got plenty of time. You know where that lie comes from? The devil himself. He don't want you to be saved. He wants you to be there with him with all of his evil cohorts because hell was designed for him. It was not designed for you. But God in his love and in his law, because those don't contradict one another, in his holiness and in his justice, he must allow people in the power of free will to choose. I walk with him and I accept Christ or I don't and therefore I reject Christ. You see, we've become cynical But Jesus is teaching that some offers, like his offer of salvation, is for a limited time only. Look at 31 and 32. On that very day, some Pharisees came and said, get out from here. Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said, you go tell that fox. Behold, pay attention. Look, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I shall be perfected. Or you could actually translate that word resurrected. Obviously, there's a foreshadowing there. Herod Antipas is ruling over Galilee. He was the son of Herod the Great. Jesus had publicly stated that his goal was to reach Jerusalem and he was well on his way. And it appears that the Pharisees wanted to deter Christ from his task to sort of scare him into moving his goal aside. And so Jesus says, you go tell that fox. He indicates that he saw Pharisees as, as Herod's messengers who would go back and talk to him. And he stated, no, I, I've got a mission to perform. And when Jesus said today and tomorrow and the next day, he's not actually saying, I'm going to arrive to Jerusalem in three days. The point was he had a mission and he would continue on the schedule he set for himself. And the goal, of course, is that Jerusalem, as the prophets foretold, would be where the Messiah would die, just outside of the city walls. He must present himself publicly to the religious authorities and then be put to death. And then he begins to weep. He, he is so burdened. Oh, Jerusalem. You can just hear the angst. Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. It's a great tenderness to those words. He wants to be like a hen gathering her little chicks. There's an outpouring of divine compassion foreshadowing his actual weeping over the city when he approached for the final time. That's over in chapter 19. We actually stopped at the place on the mountain the Mount of Olives, there not far from Gethsemane where Jesus would have wept over Jerusalem. We were there a few weeks ago. And clearly these were deep emotions. He said, I wanted, I wanted to gather you, but you were not willing. Literally, if you take the Greek and take the words apart, he says it this way, I willed, but you did not will. This is my desire for you, my heart for you, but you, you weren't willing. I want you to receive me, to believe the gospel, but you're going your own way. And he says, your house, your land is left to you desolate. He's referring to a judgment that would come and possibly even judgment that'll come when he comes back the second time. What is Jesus saying in all of these verses? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, be ready. Why won't you come to me? What's he saying? Don't wait. Do it now. There is a danger in procrastination and I will accomplish what I've come to do, but you've got to do it on my timetable, not yours. And I would just ask you, have you made certain? Have you nailed this thing down? Do you know that you know that you know? 
Salvation is available for a limited time only. And, and guys, this is important. I'm going to go back up in the text now. Salvation comes through total acceptance, not just casual association. Total acceptance. Really, a better word probably I could have used or maybe should have used would be total surrender. Total surrender, total acceptance, not just casual association. If we look at 25 again, it says, when the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and knock and say, Lord, Lord, open for us. He'll answer and say, look, I don't know you. Where are you from? You said, well, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. He says, I don't know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know you. You know of Jesus today, no doubt. You're sitting here in the house of God. You've heard the name Jesus. But does Jesus know you? Clearly, no relationship existed for these folks. Some of these religious folks deluded themselves into thinking they knew the owner of the house. And despite their protest, Jesus repeated his denial emphatically in 27. I'm telling you, I don't know you. Get out of here. You are a worker of iniquity. What in the world? Literally a worker of unrighteousness. He's not just saying you're just all wicked immoral men, but you have a legalistic approach to salvation and in your legalism that is actually unrighteousness. You're trying to do all of these things to appear right with God, but the reality is your righteousness produces simply unrighteousness. That's why I wrote it that way. Our righteousness apart from Christ is only unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. It is filthy rags. Now, I don't want to be graphic here, but some of you have heard teaching on that phrase filthy rags before. It is pretty disturbing. These make us unclean. They, they are things that you, you don't want any part of. Matthew 7, we read this. The Lord, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, same phrase, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Also, we read about the unwise virgins in Matthew 25. They came and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said unto them, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. I have no personal intimate relationship with you. He says in verse 28, for those who are cast out, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That speaks of inconsolable grief, unremitting torment. Jesus commonly used those phrases to describe hell. Um, what is gnashing of teeth? What is this weeping and gnashing of teeth? Have you ever been so upset about something? You could hardly form the words. You, words, you were sobbing, you were in deep grief and sorrow. And it's just as though you just grit your teeth together. You're like, oh God, this hurts so bad. I can't understand this type of pain. Oh God, please. Can you imagine that forever? Can you imagine that with no respite? 
Never any good news. Never any relief. You know, tomorrow, 12 5, uh, the sixth anniversary of my daddy's passing. The day my daddy passed, that didn't happen. In fact, it may sound strange to you, but after a battle with Alzheimer's, there was rejoicing. It was a bittersweet rejoicing, but a rejoicing the day my daddy went home to be with Jesus. But I'll tell you the day this did happen. It was the day that the doctor had said, he is not safe at home, Miss Lewis, you have got to put him somewhere. And we finally went to that memory care facility there in Greensboro. And I remember when they told us, you, you can't really say goodbye, you just need to walk out. You need to place him and walk out. He's not gonna understand. Remember the sound of the metal door clanging closed. My mother's a strong lady, but my mother became a puddle and fell onto the sidewalk in anguish. But I promised him, I promised him, I'd never do this. What do you as a son say? What do you say? Mama, this is better for him and it's better for you. Yeah, 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 I know all of that. There was such a deep sense of grief. Now imagine living in that moment, more biblically accurate, dying in that moment forever and ever and ever. Just a heart-wrenching gut check. It's not just the flames of hell that are gonna be painful, folks. There's this sense of deep, abiding separation. This was a husband and wife who had been married 45 years. Imagine the separation of you and your creator God that lasts forever. I'm telling y'all, hell will be no party. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, but some will come, verse 29, including people from the four corners of the earth. Even Gentiles would be invited to the heavenly banquet. He's saying to these religious Jews, look, others will accept me. Others will come, contrary to prevailing rabbinical thought and perfectly consistent with Old Testament scripture from Psalm 107, Isaiah 66, Malachi 1, and I could go on and on and on, but those are in your notes. The reality is Jesus would die for everyone whosoever will may come but some of y'all that think you're in line first some of you religious elitists you're gonna you're gonna be at the back and some of you who think man I never would deserve this there's no way God knows me God knows what I've done there's no way he would ever let me in but when you say yes to Jesus those of you who think you're in the back of the line guess what you go up to the front this is how it works in God's kingdom, not ours. Some would say the Jews were the first and the Gentiles were the last. Maybe, I don't know, that's a common interpretation. And the first would be last and the last would be first. I don't know, maybe, yeah, that could be it. But I know the people who were left outside of heaven and long to be in are those who have never entered a personal relationship with Jesus through trust and full commitment to him. When Jesus said to those on the outside, I do not know you, I do not know where you're from, he's speaking of relational knowledge and not merely intellectual knowledge. Remember, faith is intellectual assent, but it is also living trust. You do have to believe in your mind. 
but you have to live it out through your heart and your hands and your feet. Jesus prayed this in John 17. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That people would know you, that Jewish idiom, that intimate, personal, connected knowledge. Because you and I both know there are multiple ways to know someone. For example, in a sense, I know Elon Musk. Do y'all know Elon Musk? You know Elon Musk, right? Not necessarily in the sense that I get full entrance into Tesla headquarters or SpaceX or now I guess the inner sanctum of Twitter. Not that I would ever desire to go into the inner sanctum of Twitter. But if I were to call up SpaceX and say, hey, give me a ride the next time you boys hit space, I know Elon. Uh, If they don't hang up immediately, I would imagine the follow-up question would be, how do you know Elon? And so I could say, well, you know what? I've seen Elon on TV. I've read books about Elon. I've watched documentaries about his life. But all of that kind of superficial surface knowledge of Elon will not give me entrance into his world. I'm sure by now I've told you all about going to my nanny's house when when my mom's mom was still alive, my sweet little nanny. She was a, a pinto bean connoisseur. She knew the right way to make pinto beans with the ham bone and the ham, oh my word. And then the, the, the cornbread in the old black skillet that never got washed, praise Jesus, because you don't wash them. And always a side of hog jaw. Y'all know what hog jaw is here? The ho- oh my God. <laughs> On the side of the stove. And Miss Cindy and I, we would go and Nanny would just, oh, it was so good. Anytime we could go. Anytime we could call, anytime the door would be open because we knew her and she knew us. And the the same really is true with heaven, folks. We must know Jesus and he must know us and have a personal relationship. And, And Jesus knows us as his sheep. And some people claim to know Jesus because they ate with him at the community picnic or they saw him teaching in their streets, but a superficial familiarity with Jesus is not enough. Yeah, I went to Sunday school. I read the Bible a few times. I pray a little bit. I hit church when I can. I try to get there a couple Sundays out of the month. That's not getting you to glory. But you could say, but I go every time the doors are open. I give a lot of money. I read the Bible every day. I pray all the time. That's not getting you to glory either. You got to know Jesus Christ as your person personal Lord and Savior. I know him. I have entrance into his presence because he knows me. I know some of you pretty well by now. Some of you I'd like to get to know more. The third category, we'll just let that be. Now look, (laughs) here's the thing. Once the master of the house has gotten up and locked the door, I don't recommend any of y'all coming over to the house tonight. Not once it's dark, not once the door is locked, because I'm a strong advocate of the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. And the reality is, it's important for you if you know me, but it's probably more important if you're on my property that I know you. It's probably more important. Now Jesus ended up brandishing a 12 gauge what he is doing is saying, only those who know me and only those whom I know are getting in. You see, folks, just 
going to church, reading the Bible, participating in numerous religious activities, and even knowing a lot about Jesus will not get you into heaven. You must enter a personal relationship with him by grace through faith. Pastor Frank did a great job outlining what that looks like. Grace, God giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy, God withholding what you really deserve. Hell, God lavishing his love on us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, Herod may want to kill him, Yes, the religious leaders want to destroy him, but Jesus uses this as an opportunity to point out who's in real danger. Jesus said, hey boys, I'm not worried for myself. You tell that fox, I'm in charge. You tell that fox, I have a plan. You tell that fox, I'm not worried about him. You see, Jesus is in charge. Jesus was in charge when the Roman soldiers grabbed him, when they whipped him, when they put a crown of thorns on his head when they put nails in his hands and his feet. Jesus was in charge. You think, there's no way he could have been in charge. I mean, they did all of this to him. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, 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 no. No, he willingly laid down his life. The Lord is long-suffering toward us, and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what 2 Peter 3, 9 says. That's a message 2,000 years old, but it's a message for us today. Jesus doesn't want anyone to miss heaven and suffer hell. But you've got to be willing to receive him by trusting and committing. Have you done that? Are you sure? Well, I think so, not good enough. Well, I hope so, not there yet. Well, I want to, well, good. Because we're gonna give you an opportunity. We're gonna give you a chance today to come and say yes to Jesus Christ, as so many have in the last few months around here. But what have we learned? Salvation is available for a limited time only. And salvation comes through total acceptance, not just casual association. I wanna close with this brief letter that was published in Melbourne, Australia. It um, happened after a Billy Graham crusade, the famous evangelist some years ago. I want you to listen to this letter. After hearing Dr. Billy Graham on the air, viewing him on television and reading reports and letters concerning him and his mission, this writer said, I am hardly sick of the type of religion that insists my soul and everyone else's needs saving, whatever that means. I've never felt as though I was lost. It's because dead men don't feel anything. Never felt as though I was lost, nor do I feel that I daily wallow in the mire of sin, although repetitive preaching insists that I do. Give me a practical religion that teaches gentleness and tolerance and acknowledges no barriers of color or creed, that remembers the aged and teaches children of goodness and not sin. If in order to save my soul, I must accept such a philosophy as I have recently heard preached by Dr. Graham, I prefer to remain forever damned. This person has no idea what they've written. Give me something warm and fuzzy that helps people. Let me tell you, you don't help people by taking out the gospel. You don't help children by never saying you're a sinner and you need a savior. 
You don't help a lost and dying world by glossing over the truth of what the word of God has said. You are a sinner and your sin separates you from your creator God. So am I. But God sent his son Jesus at the perfect moment in all of history, and that's what we are celebrating. A light came into this dark world through the womb of a virgin. God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus walked our dusty streets, and Jesus ministered and touched and healed. And yes, he was tempted, but he never caved. He never gave in to sin, so he could then therefore be the perfect sacrifice for sin. He willingly went to the cross. He took your nails. He took my stripes. They wrapped him up and put him in a rock-hewn tomb, but by the power of Almighty God and to prove he accepted what Jesus did the third day, he rose to new life. He then, 40 days later, ascended to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, where he mediates for us. He is my Savior. I know him, and he knows me. What about you. Man, you can know him today. You can know him today, and he can know you today. Salvation is available for a limited time only. Stand with me. Here's what I'm going to do today. I didn't actually tell them, but since I see Todd over here and I see uh, Pastor Todd here and Pastor Frank here, I'm actually going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask these guys to make themselves available right in the front. If you need to nail this down today, come to one of my guys here, please, and let them get you with a counselor. We have men and women ready to counsel. You can still come to the kiosk afterward, but sometimes I realize there's a line that forms there, and some people may not want to wait. I get it, but Jesus is willing to wait for you, so please don't walk away. You can come to one of our pastors here, one of our counselors here. They're going to be here. Maybe you're here today, and you say, I just need somebody to pray with me today. Will somebody pray with me? Come to one of these guys, and if they get overwhelmed, we'll pull other people out. Maybe you've got somebody that you're burdened about. That weeping, that gnashing, I could not bear. I couldn't bear the thought of watching my mother on that sidewalk for more than the five or six minutes she was probably down there. I couldn't bear the thought of her being there forever. Maybe you couldn't bear the thought of someone with weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Maybe you can't bear the thought You need to come as an intercessor and pray for them today. Maybe there are other things that you're praying for. Maybe there are things you're celebrating. I know that uh, Nathan and Mackenzie are celebrating a successful surgery for precious little linen. Three months old, had a lobe of her lung removed, but is doing marvelously well. They're celebrating that. We can come, you know, you can come and say, oh God, thank you for answering our prayers. Thank you for being faithful for this precious family. Whatever the need is, I pray these men are here. The altar is open. This is your time. Don't you dare leave here without getting right with God. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.